We're starting a new series today called Dinner and a Movie. How many of you have ever seen Dinner and a Movie of TBS? Well, you know that they, uh, if you've seen it, you know that they have a, a food that ties into the movie. So for the next five weeks, we have movies that we're going to be showing clips from. Uh, we're going to take some real life things that they put on the big screen and we're going to apply those or, or talk about how God has answers to those things that are on the big screen. And uh, today we're doing, since it's 4th of July coming up in a couple of days, we are doing um, Saving Private Ryan. And so we just want to give you that little brief intro. Each week you'll see our very own dinner and a movie chefs as they attempt to uh, make some things right back here in our own kitchen. And one of the things that we will do, one, th- one promise that I'll make to you is what you see on the screen is not what we feed you, okay? So we will, you know, sometime in the message, we will have, uh, we will serve you and you'll get to eat during that. So here is our first installment of Dinner and a Movie. Movie. I am your host, Danae, and I'll be working with Daru, which is also your, uh, I guess, co-host. And, uh, Daru, what movie are we going to be watching today? Good morning, all you little lads. I'm here to tell you what more movie you're watching today. The movie you're watching today is saying Private Ryan. Private Ryan is played by Matt Damon. And there's another guy in the movie called Tom Hanks, and I don't remember his actual name. He is actually a high-ranking officer. There's also a person in this movie named Van Diesel. Try not to pay attention to him because he's not important. This movie is about war. Now let me tell you folks something about war. When I was in the war, there was a war called the War of World War II. I think we need to get back to the dessert. Yes, ma'am, I apologize. Please move on. Okay, um... The dessert we're going to be doing today is called Berry Berry Patriotic Cake. As you can see, we have two different types of berries. Blueberries, strawberries, whipped cream, and of course we have the lovely pound cake over here, which I'm going to go ahead and start slicing up. Do not use this! This is not Army issue equipment! You are not trained how to use this here equipment! I, on the other hand, am! So, are you going to show me? Allow me to show you how to use this here piece of equipment. Okay, well, let me just get that back. I'm used to having this on the end of a rifle, but I'll do without a rifle this time. You want to take this here knife, you want to hold it like this. You take it with this piece of cake, and you want to turn it up there, and enough to where you can have a nice little uh, cake there that you can use for your layers. Then you're going to take it and cut it crossways okay, like this. Okay, okay, I think that is great. That's great. Um, I'm going to go ahead and start layering it now, okay? So you can just take a little breather. Yes, ma'am. So I'm going to start layering it, and it's going to be red, white, and blue, of course, because it's a very, very patriotic. I guess we're going to go ahead and start with some whipped cream here. You go ahead and layer it. Okay. Well, I'm going to finish layering this, and then I'm going to let it chill for about 45 minutes. And, Drew, you can just go ahead and take over from here. All right, maggots. We're going to let this chill. You enjoy the show.
Dear Mr. Brian Boyd, no doubt by now you have received full information of the untimely death of your son. No words of mine can ever relieve the doubt that you have felt his loss tremendously. He was a fine soldier and he believed very strongly in what... It's no secret anymore that we were involved in one of the most important operations of this war. I was the one who held us all together. He was always the first volunteer. You came to a clearing near a road where over 4,000 troops were Your husband served in a combat unit whose dangerous duty is to place itself in between all charities. The loss of me and others like him is a distinct blow. I fully understand your desire to learn as much as possible regarding the circumstances of This man was killed last week in New Guinea. Daniel. Ryan. The three men are brothers, sir. I've just learned that this afternoon their mother's going to be getting all three telegrams. That's not all. There's a fourth brother, the youngest. He parachuted in with the 101st Airborne night before the invasion. He's somewhere in Normandy. We don't know where. Is he alive? We don't know. Massachusetts, that you are the mother of five sons who have died gloriously on the field of battle. I feel how weak and fruitless must be any words of mine that would attempt to beguile you from the grief of a loss so overwhelming. But I cannot refrain from tendering to you the consolation that may be found in the thanks of the Republic they died to save. I pray that our Heavenly Father may assuage the anguish of your bereavement and leave you only the cherished memory of the loved lost. The solemn pride that must be yours to have laid so costly a sacrifice upon the altar of freedom. Yours very sincerely and respectfully, Abraham Lincoln. 
boy's alive, we are going to send somebody to find him. If you have a listening guide, does anybody not have a listening guide piece of paper with the blanks on it? If you don't have one, raise your hand. There's a few. Keith will bring some up to you. Um, very first point on your listening guide is remember the cost of freedom. A couple here. David needs one over here. Keep your hand up. They'll get them to you. There's three, four, five. It's the second row. Nobody on the second row. There we go. Very first blank is the cost of freedom. Jeff and I were talking Wednesday night about this. We were talking about the fact that we're going to be watching Saving Private Ryan. And his comment kind of stuck in my mind. He said he he thinks anybody, I think it was under 25, maybe under 30 years of age, should have to watch the first hour of this movie just to remember how ugly war is. Caleb and I were driving down here today, and I don't have to give him a buck because he's not up here today. Um, that's the deal. If I mention his name when he's up here, I have to give him a dollar. So he's downstairs helping with kids' worship, so I don't have to pay him. We were driving down here to turn on the air conditioner this morning, and he was asking me about Saving Private Ryan because he can't see it. You know, it's, it's too bloody for him. And he was asking me about war, and we were talking about D-Day and, and all of those things. And I said, Caleb, I said, it's real easy for me to remember the cost of war because my dad was in World War II. Dad just turned 84 years old, and we've spent hours and hours talking about um, what happened on Guadalcanal in World War II, and he wasn't supposed to be in combat. <laughs> That's a joke. Um, Dad was in the construction battalion, and they were the ones who would take the beaches before the Marines came up, and they would build stuff. I was talking to a Marine the other day who just turned 85 and told him my dad was a CB, and he said, oh, yeah, I like the CBs. He said, we'd look out the ship one day and, and there'd be nothing there. And next morning we'd look and there'd be buildings, the construction battalion. They'd go under gunfire and all that stuff and build stuff so that the Marines and the others could could come and stage a war operation. And I decided to look up the amount of casualties, the fatalities that the United States suffered in World War Two, since this movie is, is about World War Two. And what I found was. The United States suffered 295,000 military deaths, zero civilian deaths, but 295,000 military deaths over a four year period. And by comparison, we've lost um, just a little over 2,500 military personnel in the Gulf uh, War, in the war in Iraq in a four year period. And, you know, I, I was thinking about this, that we'd have a hard time today. Staging a war where we lost 295,000 people, a hundred times more than we've lost in Iraq. And, and I'm not saying that the ones we've lost in Iraq are not are not um, important. They are. What I'm saying is we've got to remember the cost of every soldier. And just just out of curiosity, how many of you here today have served in the armed services in some way? Let me see your hand. That one over here. I can't see where. Hal and Charlie. Oh, y'all are in the dark over there. Um, I knew you were over there. Um, I think we just need to give these folks a hand for what they did. Now, when I was looking at this, I was blown away because I was looking this up on the Internet. And, and I decided to see how our fatalities compared to other nations. We're number 15. We're the 15th highest number of fatalities at 295,000. Do you know who the number one sufferer of casualties in World War II was? What nation? They were all up there. 
The Soviet Union. You know, take a guess at how many they lost. Half a million. Twenty five point five million people from the Soviet Union died in World War Two. Sixteen million were civilians. Now, we've got to remember that people gave their lives so that we might have freedom. And what I want to do today is I want to kind of remind us of the cause of war. The Bible talks about this. Look at uh, James 4, 1 through 2. It says this, where do these wars and battles between yourselves first start? Isn't it precisely in the desires fighting inside your own selves? Here's the key. You want something and you haven't got it, so you're prepared to kill. You have an ambition you can't satisfy, so you fight to get your way by force. Would you say that Hitler wanted to um, take something that wasn't his? He wanted to rule the world. People wouldn't allow him just to walk in, so he did it by force. The emperor of Japan, Mussolini, all of those folks you can look at, they had desires to conquer things that weren't theirs. Didn't have it, so they decided to fight and take it by force. Whenever there is a battle between nations, you can probably trace it to selfishness or pride. Whenever there's a battle between um, two businesses, a battle between an employer and employee, a, a spouse, uh, labor and management, parent, child, wherever there's conflict, somebody, maybe both somebodies, are exhibiting selfishness and pride. And that's what causes conflict. We want to have our own way. I want to have my own way. And I don't give in to you. Now, war is nothing new. Um, during the last 5,560 years, that's recorded history. There have been 14,531 wars. Recorded wars, averaging a little over 2.6 years, uh, I mean, 2.6 wars each year. So in the history of 185 generations of mankind, there have only been 10 generations that um, that went through unbroken peace. So when Jesus said there will be wars and rumors of wars, when he talked about the end of time, he knew what he was talking about. We have always had wars because we live in a messed up world. Now, Romans 12:18 says this. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. I want you to circle the words, if it is possible. You have that on your listening guide, right? If it is possible. Are there some people who refuse to live at peace with you? Do not identify them if they are in the room. Um, you can talk about that later. Come to celebrate recovery. It's free marriage counseling. Are there some nations that refuse to be at peace with America? Hello. Thank you. The verse implies that that sometimes it is impossible to live at peace with someone. It says if it is possible, it's not always possible. If someone abuses my wife and my children, I'm not going to have peace with them. If someone breaks into my home, I am not going to have peace with them. There are certain times that that you cannot have peace with someone. And the Bible even tells us in Ecclesiastes, there's a time for war and there's a time for peace. And sometimes you cannot live at peace with others. When evil men attempt to conquer innocent folks, then war is the lesser of two evils. War is bad, and I do not want to go to war. I remember sweating through whether my brothers were going to be drafted to go to the Vietnam War, looking at the numbers in the newspaper. I was just a kid, and, and praise God, I haven't had to go through the draft, and, and no one um, my age or younger has, to, has had to go through the draft. Uh, I don't want to have to do that. But I guarantee you, if an evil man began to threaten our country and specifically began to threaten my family and my interests, 
then I would be willing to go to war to fight for that. War is ugly and it actually reveals what's in the heart of a man. Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain, who was a hero of the Battle of Gettysburg, he said this. War makes bad men worse and good men better. So war actually reveals what's in your heart. Let me give you a couple of examples of that. The most feared plane in World War II was the Japanese Zero. It was light. It was agile. It was the scourge of the Allied forces. American and British pilots did not want to have to go against the Zero. But the Japanese government traded off safety for agility because they made the the cockpit, they made the whole plane of paper-thin aluminum. Um, By contrast, the Allied planes were heavily fortified. They could take all kinds of gunfire damage and still um, turn the Japanese Zeros into fireballs. So the Japanese government, they weren't worried about their pilots. They were worried about making the best fighting plane they could, but it eventually came back to haunt them. There's another example from the Japanese government in that most of the Japanese zeros, the the pilots were not given parachutes because they felt like it went against the warrior's code of conduct and honor. If you were shot down, you know, too bad for you. Japan wasn't worried about the individual. Japan was worried about winning the war at all costs. Disregard for individuals was also part of the Soviet strategy. Um, One of the commanders of their military said, this is a quote in World War II, our infantry attacks exactly as if a minefield were not there. Now, can you imagine being on the front lines? You know, I've watched all these old war movies where they actually, you know, get in lines and you walk. I don't want to be on the front line. You get one shot and then you die. I don't want to be in the Soviet military if they if they line us up and say, well, there's a minefield over there, boys, but you're going to give your life so that I can walk through because I'm a high ranking official. That doesn't make sense to me. But this same commander speaking to General Eisenhower said this. Why do you care about men? The Germans have captured. He was talking to Eisenhower about prisoners of war. Why do you care about men? The Germans have captured. They have surrendered and cannot fight anymore. So, in other words, once you're captured, you have no use to the motherland. We don't care what happens to you. So these just are quick examples that that show you not only does it show what's in the heart of a man war, but it also shows the driving force behind the nations in war. The Geneva Convention was established so that prisoners of war would be treated correctly. But have you ever seen regimes that don't treat prisoners of war correctly? They don't give a rip about the Geneva Convention. They don't give a rip about people. All they care is about their selfishness and pride and getting their own way. So war brings out what is inside what is inside the person. You can see the truth of the statement. War makes bad men worse and good men better. Now, the second thing we need to remember. First thing, we remember the cost of war. Second thing, we need to remember the stories of freedom. Every person has a story. And when, when we mess up is when we kind of lump everybody into the same category. And I don't know if you've done this. You know, when, whenever there's been 2,500 people die in Iraq, sometimes we'll see, oh, another soldier has died. And we don't think about the family of that soldier. When, when I get pulled into and, and get interested in it is when they do these special interest stories and they talk to the families. And they, I get to learn a little bit about what that guy was about in his life. And then I'm like, oh, man, what a what a tragedy that this person has been taken from us. We've got to personalize what has happened in in these wars so that we remember the cost of of these soldiers giving their lives. If I had the money, I would fly my dad to Guadalcanal 
we we go on vacations with our parents with my parents usually once a year and the, we've gone on a couple of cruises and I push dad around in the wheelchair and we're about to go to Red River, New Mexico in a couple of weeks. And I know that I'm going to be pushing my dad around Red River, New Mexico in a wheelchair. If I had the money, I'd fly him to Guadalcanal and I would I would let him point out to me where he's where he was in the foxhole, where he was in his tent, where he he told me all kinds of stories about, you know, going AWOL and stuff that shouldn't have happened. But I would like for dad to point that out. I wish I could go and, and just hang out with him and uh, and hear all the stories. Because I met a lot of the guys that he used to, uh, that were in his tent. I think they're all dead now, except my dad. We would go to these reunions every year and I would meet these guys and I would see my dad come out of his shell. My dad's a very shy individual. He, he's pretty good one-on-one, but he would never talk in front of a crowd. The first CB reunion I went to, dad's working the crowd. I'm going, who is that dude over there? Because he's telling stories, he's talking and laughing. I'm going, who is this? But what I realized were, was that these guys were my dad's family. He was closer to the guys he went to war with than he was his own brother. And I began to think about that. And the reason is, these guys spent time together, common cause, common um, uh, suffering, and it caused their hearts to be knit together. It's kind of, a, kind of a prescription for how you can become a family as a church is spend time together. Do stuff together. We've got to remember the stories. Before Private Ryan, before they found him, the guys... Now, this is based on a true story, so there's some Hollywood stuff that's in there, but it's based on a true story. In the movie, before they find him, they are hacked that they have to give their lives, risk their lives to save this one Private Ryan so that his mom will have one person left over. Um, but once they found him, it became more personal, and they began to hear, uh, get to know him. And one of the scenes you're about to see, Tom Hanks... He's talking to Private Ryan and Private Ryan says, I can't remember my brother's faces. He just learned that they've all died. And he says, I can't remember their faces. Tom Hanks tells him, because I can't remember the name of his movie and movie character either. Drew and I are the same way there. Tom Hanks tells him, you've got to put it into context. And here's that clip. Is it true you were a teacher back home? Yes. See, that's something I can never do now. Not after the way me and my brothers treated our teachers. <laughs> no, sir. <laughs> we had a thousand kids like you. I can't see my brother's faces. And I, I've been trying, and I, and I can't see their faces at all. Has that ever happened? you got to think of a context. What does that mean? Well, you don't just think about their faces, think about something specific, something you've done together. Well, when I think of home, I, I think of something specific. I think of my, my hammock in the backyard, my wife pruning the rose bushes and a pair of my old work gloves. Two of my brothers came and woke me up in the middle of the night. They said they had a surprise for me. So they took me to the barn up into the loft, and there was my oldest brother, Dan, with Alice, <laughs> Alice Jardine. <laughs> I mean, 
picture a girl who just took a nosedive from the ugly tree and hit every branch coming down. <laughs> <laughs> and Dan's got her shirt off. So he's working on this bra and he's trying to get it off. And all of a sudden, Sean just screams out. Danny, you're a young man. Don't do it. <laughs> and so Alice hears this and she screams and she jumps up and she tries to get running out of the barn. But she's still got this shirt over her and she goes running right into the wall and knocks herself out. So now Dan is just so mad at us. He, he starts coming after us. But, but at the same time, Alice is over there unconscious. He's got to wake, wake her up. So he grabs her by a leg, and he's, drag, he's dragging her. At the same time, he picks up a shovel, and he's going after Sean. And Sean's saying, what are you trying to hit me for? I just did you a favor. <laughs> and so this makes Dan more angry. He tries to swing this thing. He loses the shovel, goes out of his grasp, and hits a kerosene lantern. The thing explodes. The whole barn almost goes up because of this thing. Uh. That was it. That was the last... That was Dan went off to basic the next day. That was the last night the four of us were together. Everybody has a story, and unless you spend time with folks, you don't know what their story is. We just went to um, Hurricane Harbor this last week, and uh, James and Amy over here, they sat behind me in, in my car, and we had a blast talking, telling stories, got to know them. Never would have gotten to know them if we hadn't gone and hung out together. Um, during the day. And so we've got to have shared experiences to remember these things and remember the cost, the stories of war. Got a couple of things I wanted to share with you. On July 31st, 1943, Roger Young was pinned down with the rest of his reconnaissance party um, by Japanese machine gun fire in New Georgia, which was one of the Solomon Islands in the South Pacific. This ambush had already killed four soldiers, and since there was virtually no hope of escape, it appeared that everybody was going to be cut to pieces. Young, who had recently requested to be demoted to private because he was losing his hearing, uh, you don't hear that happening very much anymore, requesting to be demoted, he began to inch forward towards the machine gun um, pit, and, and his lieutenant yelled at him to stay put. But he, he drug himself away from the lieutenant, went all across this ground till he found a little bit of a depression where he could be protected from the machine gun fire. He, uh, he's under a withering attack, pulls the pin of a grenade, pushes himself up, and right as he throws the grenade, he's hit in the face with this machine gun fire and dies. But the grenade explodes, killing everybody in the, the nest. And he saved the rest of his patrol because he was willing to give his life for everybody else. On February 7th, 1943, submarine skipper Howard Gilmore was on a routine patrol in the South Pacific. After ramming a Japanese ship with his submarine, um, he suffered heavy damage and was being the, the ship was being destroyed by the Japanese gunfire that came from the ship, from the machine gun fire. Two seamen were already killed and Gilmore was badly injured as he was standing on the conning tower, the reconnaissance tower, uh, observation tower. He was unable to make it to the hatch. He knew he would never make it there unless he ordered his ship to dive. Over the objections of the rest of his crew and his other um, officers, he ordered the ship to dive. 
He died because he, he drowned in the, in the ocean and 69 crew members were saved because they obeyed his order. Now, Young and Gilmore both received the Congressional Medal of Honor. This is America's highest military honor. Now, criteria for the, for the medal are unquestionably strict. The act in question must be reported by at least two eyewitnesses, distinguishable above other acts of gallantry, and involve the risks of one's own life. Two out of three folks who have received the Medal of Honor did not live to receive it. And in one of the uh, most revered military customs, every officer, generals included, must rise and salute the winner of the Congressional Medal of Honor. The salute shows the endearing respect for the man, the medal, and the deed. Now, why do we respect such heroism and self-sacrifice? Why is it moving to hear the stories of Roger Young and Howard Gilmore? I think it has to be because God has created within humans. He's created us in His image. And somehow, He put in that image a connection between um, our respect and our our understanding of someone giving their life for someone else. We understand that that's the highest price, that you're holding nothing back when you give your life as a sacrifice for others. And I think because God hardwired us with that understanding, it really points us towards what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And we understand that Jesus gave everything so that we might go to heaven with him when we die. Now, the courage that we, we um, admire and respect goes beyond the, the horrible carnage of war. And Jesus said this in John fifteen thirteen: The greatest love a person can show is to die for his friends. Human awe in the face of bravery is almost universal. You know, something is interesting in Romans chapter 5, verse 7. Paul says that for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. So for your brothers, when you are on a on a submarine ship, you might die so that they could live because you know them. But the incredible thing about Jesus Christ is the Bible says that while we were yet sinners, we were his enemies far from God. He died for us. So his sacrifice goes beyond anything we can possibly imagine because we were enemies. I've never heard of a story in a war conflict where an American died to protect Hitler. Where an American died to protect the Germans or the Japanese. That just doesn't happen. But it did spiritually when Jesus Christ died for us. The danger for any free country is that we forget the cost of war. The danger for Christians is that we forget what it costs God to purchase our spiritual freedom as well. So we've got to remember the cost of freedom. We've got to remember the stories of freedom. Now, as I promised, this that's going to come up here, I've got some ladies that are going to serve you some, some very, very patriotic cake. This is not what we made the other night when we were filming. This is fresh. My wife made this last night. And uh, so everything is fresh. And we're just going to hand you one. You can just pass them down. And you can eat this while you are uh, watching the last clip. The third point that I want you to get today is that we remember the cause of freedom. We've got to remember the cause and here in this last scene, you're going to see Tom Hanks, his character dying. And uh, Private Ryan says to him, he says, what, sir? And, and you just watch this scene and then we'll finish up. Then in the, the March of 1942, 
We went to the French village of Valais-Loup. We liberated that little valley down there called Isles. True. And it was a small little German woman there that went, Oh, I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. Everybody get out of order. It's okay. I'm just going to introduce our cake. Because it's done. And it'd be about six to twelve people. So whenever you're through, just enjoy. You maggots enjoy the show. But stay down, there's more mortars in the area! steadfast dedication even after he was informed of the tragic loss your family has suffered in this great campaign to rid the world of tyranny and oppression I take great pleasure in joining the Secretary of War the men and women of the United States Army and citizens of a grateful nation in wishing you good health and many years of happiness with James at your side nothing not even the safe return of a beloved son can compensate you or the thousands of other American families who have suffered great loss in this tragic war. And I might share with you some words which have sustained me through long, dark nights of peril, loss, and heartache. And I quote, I pray that our Heavenly Father may assuage the anguish of your bereavement and leave you only the cherished memory of the loved and lost, and the solemn pride that must be yours to have laid so costly a sacrifice upon the altar of freedom. Abraham Lincoln, yours very sincerely and respectfully, George C. Marshall, General Chief of Staff.
they wanted to come with me. To be honest with you, I, I wasn't sure how I'd feel coming back here. Every day, I think about what you said to me that day on the bridge. I've tried to live my life the best I could. I hope that was enough. I hope that at least in your eyes, I've earned what all of you have done for me. James. Captain John H. Miller. Captain John Miller. There we go, Drew. Now we know his name. Should have watched the ending scene again before we taped. I'm thankful that I live in a free society. I'm thankful that my kids get to grow up in a place that's free. And, and every year when I prepare this message um, for the 4th of July, I think about the cost. When I see Arlington Cemetery, I've got a friend who's, who's going to be buried there. Uh, he's an older gentleman, and he's already told me all the arrangements are made, and someday I want to, to visit that cemetery, and especially um, when his time comes. I, I will probably be involved in the funeral somehow, uh, just because we're good friends. And uh, I look at all those crosses, and I think, God, this, this war stuff stinks. But I also think about the fact that even if we save the lives of people physically, they're still going to die. They're still going to die physically. And there's got to be more to, to life than just what we see here on this planet. And so I think about the cost of, of spiritual freedom. Life on earth is not all there is. Um, life here is really just a dress rehearsal for the final act, which is what's going to happen after you die. You'll spend far more time on the other side of death than you will here. 
This life is actually preparation for the next life. You were made to last forever by God. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says God has planted eternity in the human heart. You have an inborn instinct that longs to live forever. That's because God designed you in his image to last forever. And even though we know everyone eventually dies, the only time we usually think about death is at a funeral. Um, In the last year or so, I've done funerals for an 80-year-old woman and an 18-year-old young man. And the questions are always the same. Why? Why death? Why does someone die? And where do they go once they die? These questions come over and over. The reason we feel that way, the reason we feel that life is unfair and that life is too short is because our our brains were wired by God to have this eternal thing, this desire to live forever. One day your heart will stop beating. That'll be the end of, of your time here on earth, the end of your body, but that will not be the end of you. Your earthly body is just a temporary residence for your spirit. The Bible calls your earthly body a tent and it calls your heavenly home A house built by God himself. Second Corinthians five, one says, for we know that when this tent we live in, our body here on earth is torn down. God will have a house in heaven for us to live in a home. He himself has made, which will last forever. No one wants to live in a tent forever. I did it for a week and couldn't wait to get back to my house. Wouldn't you rather have a house prepared, especially for you by God to live in forever? That's the promise of the Bible. God allows us to suffer hurt and disappointment and satisfaction here in this life so that we won't think this is all there is. The only time we think about this death is when someone we love dies. But if death is inevitable, then I believe only a foolish person will not prepare for what they know is going to happen. If you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, you don't need to fear death. So God has a purpose For your life here on this earth, but it doesn't end here. His plan involves far more than the few decades that you'll spend taking up space and breathing air here on this planet. It's more than an opportunity of a lifetime. It's an opportunity beyond your lifetime. And me personally, I want to invest my life in something that matters, that lasts forever. It's why we started New Life Community Church, because we believe that a person who dies without God is, is placed in a, uh, in a place called hell. Jesus Christ talked about heaven. He talked about hell. I don't care whether people believe in heaven or hell. Jesus, the creator of heaven, the creator of hell, he actually created hell for demons who were cast out of heaven. He did not create hell for people. And a loving God never sends anyone to hell. People choose to go to hell. So don't blame God for hell. It was created for Satan and his demons. But people choose to go there. You have to make a choice where you're going to spend eternity. And you have to make that choice before you take your last breath. And I think that people that are that are in the military, I've seen baptisms from from the desert over in Iraq. I think they get very acquainted with Jesus, with God, because they know their lives could end at any moment and they want to prepare for that. What we're doing matters forever. So when you are watching the fireworks this year, I want you to remember the cost of freedom. When I hear the songs, you know, I'll be listening to the radio. We're having a tailgate party at Story School this this Tuesday night. Come on out, bring food, bring stuff. We're just going to hang out, have fun together. We're going to watch the fireworks. We're going to celebrate the freedom that we have here in America. But when those fireworks go off, I want you to think about All the people that are out there that are in spiritual bondage. Because 
Usually there's 10 to 12,000 people who watch the fireworks here in, in Palestine. And if national statistics hold true, then 9 to 10,000 people who will be watching the fireworks celebrating their physical freedom are spiritually lost. Think about the people you know that if they were to die, they spend eternity away from God. That's just unacceptable to me that anyone should die and not at least hear how they can go to heaven. Your life matters. And my question is, is anybody going to be in heaven because of you? Do you take your registration cards, fill them out, 